Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen tonight. Those that some that were not able to be here this morning here tonight. Thankful for that. Appreciative of it. Uh, Brother Malone was actually referring to my wife, probably more qualified than me to fill out a bracket. She said something about maybe want to do it. I said, you can't. This is a men's thing. We don't go to your shopping trip. But she already told me she's going to convince me about what I need to put in my bracket. So I don't know. She might have that sway fluttering of the eyes or something. I don't know. Amen. Second Kings chapter number four. Second Kings chapter number four. Amen. We're going to start with verse number one. This is a story and a setting of scripture for some may be familiar for others not, but I would say probably for many, it is a familiar passage of scripture, but my prayer to you is don't let the familiarity cause you to disconnect. All right. Amen. Second Kings chapter number four and verse number one. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha saying, thy servant, my husband is dead. And thou knewest that thy servant did fear the Lord. The creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaiden hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Verse 7, Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt. And live thou and thy children of the rest. I would like to read verse number seven from the New International Version, if you'll allow me here this evening. It says, She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. For a little while tonight, I want to minister this living life on what's left. Living life on what's left. Amen. Let us go. Can we, I know we pray. It seems like a lot in the service sometimes. Like, man, they start with prayer. They pray over prayer requests. They pray over offering. Well, you're not going to do no harm in praying just another time. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I come to you tonight. I need you, Jesus, in this place. Help us, oh God. Let the will of your spirit be done in this place. Help me, God, just stand in the recesses of the shadow of the cross. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, let your voice be heard. God, I pray, Lord, let the wisdom 
of your word, Lord Jesus, God, come forward. Help it, Lord, to touch our hearts and our minds, God, that we would be empowered, Lord, by the scriptures, Lord Jesus, in our personal lives. God, and will not fail to thank you or praise you, Lord, for what you accomplished through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. It feels like it's an hour earlier. That means I got an hour longer that I can go. Hallelujah. Living life on what's left. The other day as I was doing some research for uh, this particular message, I stumbled across this website that will appear here on the screen of www.usdebtclock.org. And if you're interested, they have an app that you can pay for and have it at your fingertips at all times. But nonetheless, currently, the United States national debt, according to the debt clock, is more than $30 trillion. Folks, that is a three with 13 zeros behind it. According to an article published on January the 11th of 2002 on CNBC entitled Amid Rising Prices, American Families Fall Deeper in Debt, they say the average U.S. household with debt now owes $155,622. The average family household, including debt from credit cards, their mortgage, home equity loans, lines of credit, auto loans, student loans, loans, and other obligations. Prices, of course, as you know, being an American, prices for groceries and gasoline, medical cost and care increasing, housing increasing. For transportation, go buy a car right now, you're going to see it in the price tag. It's increasing. The article said for the past two years, the median income fell by 2% of our households, while the cost of living has nearly rose 7%. It almost seems a little bit unfair, doesn't it? While to a certain degree, debt is a part of life, we, none of us, want to, uh, it to be a life of debt. We don't want the sum of our existence to be colored by and defined by debt. And I'm not talking to you about money, but I'm just giving you a ground that we can all step on here. Amen. We don't want the sum of our life and the sum of our existence to be debt. The Bible says in Proverbs, it says these words that the borrower is subject unto the lender. And so we don't want to be mastered by our debt. We don't want to be mastered by it at all, according to the word of God. For that matter, those who are in debt or even debt of any, any notion or any kind, debt feels insurmountable. It feels like a losing battle. People oftentimes throw up their hands and say, well, what's the use? Right? I can't win this. If, if I attempt to pay all of this, then I won't even be able to live day to day. Everybody, I know it feels like I'm talking about money right now, so everybody's kind of closed up. All right? I won't even be able to live. You know, but money, according to Scripture or the like, things of that nature, it's how we live our lives. It's how we live our lives, how we have a home to be in, a car to drive, and food on our table. It's how we live our lives. Solomon in Ecclesiastes said in chapter 10 and 19, he said, money answereth all things, all things. Another translation of that says, money solves a lot of problems. I really can't argue with that. 
can't argue with that at all. It does. It requires, it's required in order to live our lives. And yet when we have obligations per se to institutions or, or people and governments, uh, then there's a certain amount of means that we have in order to fulfill those obligations. And as a result of that, we find ourselves in debt. Amen. It's all right. And that indebtedness affects our, not just our pocketbook, but it affects our mental and our physical health. Do the research if you want. I've done it this week. People in gross amounts of debt or are significantly rather incapable of making ends meet. People like that, they suffer from anxiety. They suffer from stress. They have feelings of being overwhelmed and oftentimes they have uh, modes and colorings of depression in their life. There's a sense of helplessness that they contend with because of debt. It isn't uncommon for someone with a measurable amount of debt to even consult a psychologist. Amen. With these type of emotions that they are dealing with from their debt and attached to debt, it's no wonder that in our world today there are such things as debt counseling services and agencies along with even people that's termed financial therapist in order to advise people how to both manage their debt and how to get out of their debt. In the nation of Israel, in the Bible, the Lord had ways of dealing with people's debts. Israel had a law. The law that they had was this. They, uh, Israelite was not to hold another Israelite alone for them and charge interest on their loan. They weren't supposed to do that. If another Israelite loaned money to an individual, they weren't supposed to, to charge interest on the money that they loaned to them. It was called usury if they did. And, and, and so that was the law. That's what was kind of set in the Old Testament scripture. But as with most laws, not everyone followed that rule. Not everyone followed that law. And so interest wasn't to be charged. People were encouraged just to loan money or items to people in need without charging interest, without getting any quote-unquote profit from it. And this was their way of showing their care to the community of Israel or to other people within the nation of Israel whose history had been stained for centuries by people who had been enslaved or bound to something. See, the idea of the Lord is that he knew that they spent some 400 years in a certain type of bondage, amen, to other people, working with the whips and working, trying to make bricks and for Pharaoh and his kingdom. And he didn't want them any interest to be charged on loans to each other because that's just another form of slavery. Just another form of bondage that his people would be under and in. He didn't want them to change one form of slavery for another form of slavery. And so he said, don't charge interest to one another. Yet, these debts and all times interest existed in the Old Testament scripture. We're just on a ride here tonight. Just trust me here. Amen. These debts existed in scripture. We read in scripture that the Bible speaks of David. Even during his time of being a fugitive, he had went away to the cave that was called Adullam. And he drew all types of different people to the cave. They came and gathered and rallied around him. Among those that were found in the cave of Adullam that came and set themselves under the authority in the rulership of David were these. The Bible says those that were in distress came to David. It says those that were discontent came to David. Among those also, the Bible says, those that were in debt 
came to David. So debt still existed even in the times of David. As a matter of fact, there's another law in the Old Testament scripture spoken of the sabbatical year. Every seventh year, it was placed in place that the lands that had been given to other people for their debt or even their sons or their daughters that had been given up as bondmen or slaves to other people in order to pay their debt, they'd given their lands or even their sons and daughters for collateral, if you will, for their debts that on that seventh year, this year was established so that all those lands and all those people would be released and they could return to their homes and their families. Why? Because people had debt that was beyond their capability of paying, beyond their capability of meeting ends need. Amos even speaks of that we get deeper in the Old Testament. Even Amos speaks of a record of poor people having to sell themselves into slavery to pay off their little trivial debts. Nehemiah, in his day, they come back from exile. They're trying to rebuild the house of God. They're trying to rebuild the walls. They're trying to rebuild everything concerning Jerusalem. And he came one time to the city. And what did he note? That several sons and daughters of the people had been taken in bondage, Bishop, because of debt. And the family's own admission to Nehemiah was this. They said, Nehemiah, we don't have the power to redeem our sons. We don't have the power to redeem our daughters. We don't have the power to buy them back. We don't have the power to allay their debt. Someone say amen. In our story tonight, Elisha was called upon by a woman, threatened, the Bible says, by a creditor. She cries out to Elisha because she needed some help. And she was in a dire need. She was grief-stricken. The Bible says she cried out or she moaned unto Elisha due to her predicament. The Bible says that the creditor had come to take away her two sons as bondmen, to take away her two sons into a form of slavery. Her husband was dead. She's a widow. And she is left with a debt that needed paid. She is left with a debt that required more of her than what she had the ability to offer. She has, if you will, something that is vine and needing something that she cannot supply herself. And her refusal to pay the debt was not simply for refusal's sake, but it was for her ability's sake. She didn't have what was necessary in order to take care of the debt. She didn't have the money. She didn't have the means. She didn't, in her estimation, have anything that could take care of the debt that was over her head, over the head of her family. And so her much indebtedness in her air many times was a result of her culture. And they usually, because of poverty, usually because the people were poor. People just didn't have adequate means then. People needed assistance all the time on the left hand and on the right hand. I remember growing up, my parents oftentimes saying the little phrase, you can't get blood out of a turnip. Which basically means it doesn't matter how much you want a particular outcome or situation to turn out a certain way. It can't happen. It's not provided if you just don't have the means to do it. You can't get blood out of it. Matter of fact, that saying goes all the way back actually to the book of Genesis. Whenever Cain brought his offering of vegetables and Abel brought his lamb that had blood, meaning that Cain couldn't get no blood out of his vegetables because it wasn't there to be found. 
Someone say amen. The thrust of our story here is that the woman was left with a debt and no way to pay it. Nope now, when the man of God comes to her through her own estimation, she did not see the pot of oil as being the answer to her dilemma. When she answered Elisha's question about what do you have in the house, she led simply with this. This is what she led with. I have not anything in the house what she led with. I have not anything in the house. Her husband is dead and the custom of her day demands that if you have a debt you cannot pay, you'll pay for it with your life. And I'm not talking about she's going to die but what I'm saying is you're going to sell yourself into slavery. You're going to sell yourself or your children as indentured servants. You're going to be in bondage. You're going to pay your debt with your life. And so the high cost of debt was this. If you had a debt you could not pay, your life then would not be your own. If you had a debt you could not pay, your life was not your own. If I could say it like this, your life belonged to your debt. Your life belonged to your debt. You had to live your life within the parameters of your debt. That's how it is, folks. People can't go out to eat at certain restaurants. You know why? Because they're too in debt. They can't buy certain cars because they're in debt. You hear what I'm saying? Your life is regulated then by the debt that you own. And that's what happened to our dear little widow woman here in the scripture. Her life, everything she did, what she decided, how she lived was not determined by her desire. It was determined by what she was in debt to. Bishop knows where I'm headed. Amen. In the New Testament, Debtors were often thrown into prison. Debt was simply not, listen to me, and here we are. Debt was simply not a material or a financial obligation. It was a moral obligation. What I'm saying is this. When you read in the New Testament scripture, debt many times is translated as sin or the debtor as a sinner. When you read of that New Testament scripture, sister, sister and brothers, it is often in the terms that a debt is forgiven. Jesus taught his disciples we're in the little Lord's prayer on Sunday morning. You read the different accounts of the gospels of the prayer. Jesus taught his disciples to pray and forgive us our debts as we forget our Debtors, if you want to parallel that though with the other occurrences of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospels, it shines a light on it. Because in Luke, it's that same line is stated like this, and forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And so there's a parallel. There is a connection between debts and sins in these two accounts. There's a close relationship between being a debtor and being a sinner. Both debt and sin, listen to me, both debt and sin relate to how you live your life. The Bible tells me in the New Testament scriptures uh, that we were all servants to sin. It says in another place that we were slaves to sin. Why? As a result of that, we even yielded up our members, according to Romans, uh, we yielded up our members uh, unto uncleanness uh, and iniquity unto iniquity. Why? Because my life is not my own. It belongs to whatever I'm in. 
it belongs to whatever I am in indebted to. Amen. And so what debt happens, debt happens, sin happens, if I could even say on that matter. But debt happens when you spend more than you can pay and when you invest more than what you can get a return out of. A person is in debt. I'm in debt with my house because I paid more for it than what I had money to pay with at the moment. Uh-huh. People get in debt with certain things that they hope to get exchanged on. Sometimes they even lose money because they invest in things that can't give them equal or greater return than what they invested in. Listen, being born into this world as a sinner, being born into this world as a debtor, and continuing in that type of line, continuing in that type of mindset, you will never be able to pay, amen, enough in order to get yourself out of debt. Like those of Nehemiah that cried out to Nehemiah, we don't have the power in ourselves, by ourselves, or by our own means to redeem ourselves. We are in debt, and so our lives are not our own. We are living our life by the constraints of what we're in debt. I'm far from being done. Somehow, we don't know for sure, but in our story, this woman's life was being dictated by her debt. You hear me? She was limited from doing certain things because her debt limited her. Might I say, she had to do some things because her debt required it. I hate to tell you, amen. She was limited and yet also she was required. She answered to her debt. She had to cater to her debt. Every action, amen, was measured by the permissiveness of her debt. She couldn't do anything unless she consulted her debt about whether it could or not allow her to do what she needed or stay with me. Debt to her was a prolonged house guest that she felt like she had no power to dismiss, no power to show the door, no power to get rid of. And here is the fact of the matter. When Elisha asked her, what do you have in your house? Please listen to me tonight. She was more grossly aware. Listen to me. She was more grossly aware of her debt than she was even moderately mindful of the oil. Everybody say amen. I will preach. I will preach the last five minutes of this sermon. Along with other staples such as grain and and the fruit of the vine, oil was considered essential to life. As a matter of fact, in some Jewish traditions, the tree of life that was in Eden, many of the Jews considered it to have been an olive tree. It was essential to life. Oil was the chief, one of the chief characteristics of the promised land that Israel was to live in and inherit. Oil was the life source of the ever-flickering flames that were on the lampstand in the tabernacle that was to never go out. Oil is what separated men as priests and kings and prophets. That horn of oil would be poured upon their head and it consecrated them. It set them apart as prophets, priests, and kings. Listen to me now. They tell me from my understanding, possession of oil was a sign of prosperity 
and abundance. Yet all the widow can see is her debt. All she is focusing on is her debt. Can I tell you something? That whenever the creditor comes, the creditor will not come to the household of the widow and promote the pot of oil she has. The creditor will not come and promote, amen, the oil that is in the house. What he's going to do, he's only going to come and underscore the amount of debt that she has. He's going to come and when she cries out, amen, he's just going to tell her how there's no way possible, amen, for this thing to be amended. How in rightly she does not have the power to redeem her boys. How rightly she does not have the power to redeem herself. I mean, how in the world can anybody dig themselves out of that much debt? Someone say amen. I don't know if everybody's getting what I'm conveying here today. But your adversary, your accuser, will never show up and talk about any tracing of oil that you might have. He'll only talk about your faults, your failures, your mistakes. He'll only shine a light on your indebtedness. He's not, because he's showing up to collect. He's not showing up to get you out of your situation. He's showing up hopefully to get you deeper in the hope from which you came. Everybody hear me all right? He's not going to come and underscore that. He's not going to shine any light or bring anything up concerning the oil. Amen. Whatever amount that may be there that is there. And so then how in the world is a person to get out of such a situation? I'll tell you how. Because again, there is the oil. Among more than the 200 times that oil is mentioned in the Bible, among those are many times that it's mentioned as a metaphor of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit's presence and its action. Amen. It's absolutely clear even in the anointing of the priests and the anointing of the sacrifices that was rendered to God. I'll show you the connection between the oil and the Spirit of the Lord that whenever prophet Samuel came to David as a young lad and he wanted to know who he was to anoint as the next king and all the boys were there and he went through them all and he says, do you yet have another son? He says, yes, there's one out tending the sheep. He said, go call him and he calls him and the Lord speaks into Samuel and said this is the one and he raises that horn of oil and he pours it up on David's head after he was anointed everybody say after the Bible says after he was anointed with the oil the very next verse says and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward there's a connection between the oil and the spirit there's a connection oh God help me right now someone say amen Sometimes I just know where I'm ending. There's just something about this woman. What does Elisha tell? What do you want me to do, woman? You calling to me, hollering at me? What, what, do you, what do you have now? I don't have anything save the pot of oil. So she, she's promoting the debt. She doesn't have much to say about the oil. She sees the debt as the problem, but she doesn't see the oil as the answer. And so Elisha tells her, he says, I want you to go to your neighbors, to the households. I want you to borrow some vessels, empty vessels. Don't borrow a few. Get them from the left hand and the right hand. And whenever you get as many vessels as you think you can get, both you and your boys go in your house, you shut the door, and you start to pour the oil. 
you start to pour out of that pot and you keep pouring and you keep pouring and you keep pouring until all the vessels that you have got that they are full to the brim and whenever you poured all that you can he said then we'll talk about it and so the Bible says she shut the door upon her and her sons and she grabbed a hold of what she thought was not the answer she grabbed a hold of what she did not deem as the answer. What she deemed was insignificant. What she deemed as being small compared to her debt. And she picked up that pot and she poured and another vessel and she poured and another vessel and she poured until there was not another until there was not another vessel to to be filled. So she's got all of this filled. She's like, I need to go talk to the man of God. I followed what he said. She says, man of God, I poured out till I couldn't pour out anymore. Everything is filled. This is verse number seven. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go and sell the oil and pay thy debt. In the NIV, it's debts. And live thou and thy children of the rest. In the IV, it's you can live on what's left. Hear this preacher tonight. She had a debt she couldn't pay. She had a debt she didn't have the capacity to pay. She had a debt she had no power to redeem her or her boys over. But when she grabbed a hold of, of what she did not think was her answer, that which she didn't esteem as her answer was the answer. That mere pot of oil was her answer. Her nothing was really a something because that oil got her out of debt. That oil stayed the hand of the creditor from taking her two boys. That oil underwrote the cost of her indebtedness. She couldn't make ends meet. She couldn't redeem herself. She couldn't do it on her own. All oh, but for a pot of oil. Oh, that's fine and dandy, but that's still not my sermon. My sermon is this, is that the miracle and the benefit of the oil, hear me today, the miracle and the benefit of the Spirit of the Lord, the miracle and the benefit of that which we have received from heaven is this, is that when it finishes paying for your debts, when it finished paying for your debts, you can still live on what's left. When it has brought the account to zero, when it has settled all of your balances, when all of your voids and vacancies have been filled, there is still enough to live. Oh, honey, I'm not just talking about being saved from sin. I'm talking about living a life of dominion and power and authority because you can live on what's left. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for salvation. But thank God there's still some left over that I can live on what? You hear me? God help us. God help us. God help us. The prophet said, you'll be it. You can live on, honey. If you, if you handle the oil appropriately, 
if you, if you let it serve to your best interest, you'll find yourself being able to live on what's left. Brother McGee, I was a low down good for nothing. Yeah, welcome to the club. We all were all, but I did this and that. I understand your story through human eyes may seem a whole lot bigger than mine of being born into sin. But listen, we all had debts. We all had debts and we were enslaved to them and we lived our lives according to them. But sometimes we did not consider the oil. There are times we did not consider even a meager amount of oil that if we'll allow it to pay the debt, amen, we can live on what's left when we think that our losses have been insurmountable and we have a little more than nothing, amen, to our hands. The oil empowers us to live on what's left. Let me ask you, can the common man live on what's left when the debt is paid. Everybody doing okay? Threw a hanky down when I threw this jacket down somewhere. God help me. I'm feeling a little March Madness coming on me here. (laughs) Scripture. Can a common man live on what's left after the debt's paid? Scripture reports, it's not me, this is Scripture. This is not CNBC. This is not fake. I mean, Fox News. Scripture says, Hell hath enlarged herself, opened her mouth. Hell opened her mouth without measure. It says, The people, their glory shall descend in it. The multitudes shall descend in it. The pomp and the pageantry that they have shall descend in it. He that rejoiceth shall descend in it. The mean man shall. The mighty man, this is in your Bibles, shall. The eyes of the lofty shall descend into it. So I'm asking myself, Brother Malone, can the common man live on what's left even after the debt is paid? Because hell's getting bigger. Hell's getting larger. Its mouth is opening wider because people are indebted to it. The Bible speaks there in Isaiah that they are drawing iniquity with cords. They're drawing their sin as with a cart rope, the Bible describes. They're attached to it. They're chained to it. They're at its mercy. Paul even said in the book of Romans, he said that sin even abounded. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We are all in debt. He says in verse 14, that death reigned from Adam even unto Moses. He says in verse 18, that judgment came upon all men to condemnation due to their debt of sin. And he said sin abounded. But grace did much more. 
I'm telling you is this, is what we find with God just doesn't equalize what's wrong in your debt or what's wrong with your debt. What we find in God is not just an equalizer. It is a, a, a bounder. It just won't bring your debt to zero and bring your account to zero. It will put surplus in your account in order to live your life. Someone say amen. Can I tell you tonight, evidently according to the scripture, the debt that this widow had, of course it must have been sizable. Listen to me very clearly. It must have been sizable enough to warrant the creditor to come and attempt taking her two boys or, listen to Brother McGee very clearly, or... She must have been in poverty deep enough with an inability to pay deep enough that it didn't matter what the amount was, it was sizable to her. You know, we say all things are relative. Say, well, you know, I owe a million dollars. Well, that's, you know, maybe not as much to a millionaire as it is to me. So this could either have been sizable or it could have not been much, and it just shows how much of her inability she had. Someone say amen. What I'm saying is this. It matters not the size of the debt when either way you don't have the ability to pay. Woo! Someone say woo! So you can cuss and steal and murder and fornicate and adultery, and someone else can be a liar. But if you both don't have the ability to pay... You both in the same boat. You both are destined for a place not going toward the glory. You're both in a great, 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 you're in great need and great peril. You don't, I don't care who you are, have all this stack or just one. You don't have the power to redeem yourself. It doesn't matter the size of it. It matters whether or not you have the ability to pay it. And I'll answer it for you. I don't, you don't, the Pope doesn't. I don't care who you are living on this earth. You don't have the ability to pay for your own debt. Save for a pot of oil. Someone say amen. Grab a few vessels, not a few vessels. Fill them full, not a vessel more. And he says, pay your debt and live on the rest. The awesome thing, the awesome thing about the oil is that once all the payoffs have been made, there's still a payout with oil. I remember evangelizing sometimes and we got the payoffs, but there wasn't no payout it was Vienna sausages in the hotel room and someone happened to drop off some tomatoes and that was dinner. It would seem. That's just real life. But with the Spirit, you know what? He always came through. And when I thought it was just a payoff, he brought a payout. Listen, everybody doing okay? I've been preaching that long, really haven't. We got a lot of time. Look at it, it's still daylight out. The professionals say, I consulted the professionals. I went to a financial therapist, a debt counselor. And the professionals say, listen to me clearly, I don't want you to miss this. That once an individual acknowledges their debt, they must prioritize their debt. Once they acknowledge it, they must prioritize it. And listen, this is some of the other steps 
and they must identify their habits that got them in debt to begin with. What this means, brethren alone, is this. They're wanting to get out of debt. They got to, listen to me, they got to begin with the debt that impacts their living situation the most first. you got to focus on what interrupts the way that you live first <laughs> and then they must make sure to make the necessary by say changes that's a good word they got to make the necessary changes to avoid creating that same type of debt somebody hear me the adulteress in the New Testament scripture, guess what? She was a debtor. Her debt was adultery. And whenever Jesus did his riding in the sand and he got up and he spoke to the worm and said, where, where are your accusers? I have none, Lord. He says, go. Neither do I condemn thee. Go. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. Your debt is cleared. Go. Does anybody know the word? Sin, what's he saying? You got to deal with the debt that first affects the way that you live, but you got to change your practices so that you'll get the same debt that you had in the first. Too many people, too many people have used the oil to get out of debt, but they've not changed their practices and they're starting to feel the load of an old debt that's right the reason why people to help these type of people if you don't watch it you're an enabler for them oh boy I feel the Holy Ghost in this place you become an enabler for them because you help them get out of a debt but they don't change practices they get out of debt and you know what happens a few months from now they're in the very same type of debt and they find a different sugar daddy They find a different sugar daddy to come along and pay the fees to get them out of debt. And all that everybody is doing is enabling them to continue to get in debt until they change their practices. There are a lot of people in church, they want to use the blood and they want to use the name to get them out of debt. But they never change a practice. And they find old things creeping back up and lingering around because they forgot to change their ways. You won't stay out of debt until you change your habits. If it's going to affect the way you live your life, you've got to change that. And if you do, you'll be able to live on what's left. I told you I wasn't talking about money. He says, professionals, it's not me, professionals. I'm just taking their word. They say you got to prioritize. Got to prioritize your debt. You got to order things concerning the oil. What's the oil going to take care of first? Notice the words of wisdom of Elisha to this widow. Look, he said, pay, go pay, take the oil and go pay your debt. Let me say it more notably like this. 
before you and your boys try to live off the oil. Before you and Conrad and Joseph go out and eat at the hacienda. He said, you go take care of the debt that's already lingering out there. Before you build a new house, Before you do this or that or other, you got you to prioritize. You need to take care of what you're already indebted in. Somebody hear me tonight? Because living is one thing and living debt free is another thing. Living without taking care of the debt will not keep the creditor from coming to your house. Listen, there's people that do that. They're very elusive. They got debts. They get an amount of money that can take care of their debts. But what they do, Brother Anthony, is they go on and live life as though they don't have a debt. And you know what they do? They move to a different city and different location. They find a different renter. They might even get themselves an education. They heap it up maybe on some treasures or pleasures and a vacation and trip that haven't been able to take in a while. They're very elusive. But listen, you go on your vacation, you buy yourself a new car, you get you a new homeowner or land, land owner, and you go do all that. Do whatever you want to do, but none of that removes the debt. You can be more intelligent and still yet in debt. You gain all the knowledge of a PhD and just forget about your debt, but that doesn't remove it from being there. Let me tell you, people sit on pews and get more and more educated about the oil and the word of God, but that doesn't remove the debt if you don't allow the oil to be applied to the first priority of how it's affecting your life. The Bible says there's a group of people that's ever coming to the, ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. What is that? They're moving, they're elusive, they're doing everything else but getting the debt taken care of. Because if you have no change of habits, you'll not keep it from coming back. And it will not leave to begin with if you don't prioritize it. Is everybody doing all right? Elisha was really quite plain. She's quite plain with the widow. Honey, take care of your debts. Address what impacts your living situation the most. Take care of your debts first. And predicated upon that, Brother Fred, Take care of your debts first, and then you can live on what's left. As long as you don't live as you lived before. Both words, Christ and Messiah, mean anointed or anointing. Peter tells the Gentiles in the New Testament that God sent a word to Israel. And he says, Gentiles, I want you to know that he's no respecter of persons. This isn't for them, just them. It's for you too, in other words. He said, and that word that was sent and was published was this. 
And you can find it in Acts 10. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. The Bible also states in the Gospels, Jesus, many of you know this, entered to a temple one time. They were reading from the scriptures. They were reading from Isaiah, Isaiah 61 in particular in the synagogues. And it came appointed now for one to read. It was Jesus' turn. They would do rotations in the synagogue about who was to read the scroll or the scriptures next. It so happened, not coincidence, ordained that it was Christ's turn to read in the synagogue and when he picked up the scriptures it was in Isaiah and he read this these words and there was enlightenment in the room because he said the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach look this the gospel to the poor he says several other things and then says and today this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears listen the poor was prone to being in debt they were liable to bondage they had no power to redeem themselves but Christ the Messiah the anointed the oil had showed up on earth and said I've come to preach to the indebted. I've come to preach to the poor. I've come to preach to those that have not the power to redeem themselves. I've come to preach deliverance to the deliverance to the captives. Now wait a minute. Hold on somebody. I'm really getting to a place to close. I am. Musicians can come. Wait a minute. Jesus? Jesus? Listen. This is the same mindset of the widow not thinking that the pot of oil was her answer. Jesus, is not this the carpenter's son? Don't we know Mary, his mother? That one, that's his brother's right there. Right, well, there's his sister over there. Don't we know, he's the carpenter's son. We know his mom and his dad, and we know his brother. What are they saying? It's just a pot of oil. In a world that was in debt and had no power to redeem them, they were more concentrated on their deficiency than his sufficiency. It's just a pot of oil. And the Bible says, stand with me tonight. I'll close. I promise you I will. Just a pot of oil. Hear me very clearly. Please just walk with me here just for just a few little seconds. That pot, so to speak, Christ, Messiah, that pot, so to speak, hear me, was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Right. My, my, my. And yet, Bishop, in the selling of him, in the selling of the pot, the debt, Elisha says, go sell the oil. Pay the debt and live on what's left. Judas kissed him, got 30 pieces of silver out of the deal. But the selling of Christ took care of the debt on Calvary. And we're still living on what's left. We're still living on what's 
The old hymn says it like this. I'm not asking you to sing this, but the old hymn said it like this. The elders here and online will remember it. Maybe others. He paid the debt. He did not owe. I owed the debt. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Another refrain says, He paid the debt at Calvary. He cleansed my soul and set me free. It says, Christ Jesus paid the debt. I could never pay. The last refrain says, One day, He's coming for me to live with Him eternally. What is that? Pastor, i tell you what that is. If He's coming someday, and you're going to be able to go with him and live eternally, you know what that is? You are capable of living on what was left after your debt was paid. <laughs> Woo! So I implore you tonight, underscore the oil more than you do the price and the cost of your indebtedness. And take, take my Christian counseling, financial therapy advice. Focus on what's interfering with your life first. Focus on that debt first. And use the oil to take care of that debt. And then you live your life on the rest and continue to do so. Because you made intentional decisions to change habits. No more needs to be, no more needs to be the end of it all. Do it no more. Do it, do it. The hardship of the hoarder is that they might get rid of everything. I've seen the, I've seen the shows. They do the checkup maybe two or three months later. You know what some of them do? House is back full. It was clean. It was fixed up. But it just now messed up. And there's feces on the floor and roaches in the cabinets. And somebody didn't change a habit. Come on. It's good. Well, someone say, I want to live on what's left. I want to live. Can we bow our heads and raise our hands if we can? God, I know you've you've given the ability, according to your word, you've empowered us to be able to live on what's left. You've been carrying around a debt tonight, and it's insurmountable, and it's bringing feelings of anxiety and stress and hopelessness and depression. Let me tell you tonight, this altar is open for us. This altar is open for us. There's enough oil in this house right now tonight to take care of your debt. There's enough oil right here tonight. I I guarantee, I promise you right now, every individual that has a debt, amen, concerning a moral obligation tonight, concerning the Lord, I guarantee you there's enough oil here right now tonight that can take care of the debt.
It can take care of the debt. Amen. And we need to come to the Lord tonight and say, Lord, I'm not focusing on anything else right now except that which interferes with my means of living, that which interferes with the way that I live my life. I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm I'm bringing my debt. I know it just looks like just a little pot of oil. To me, it's insignificant, but it's enough. It's what's needed and necessary in order to take care of the debt. And I'm asking you tonight, just between you and the Lord, to prioritize some things right now. Prioritize some things right now concerning your debt. Amen. With the Lord. Lay it before him. Allow the oil to be applied, amen, to that measure. And go in the power and the thrill of that, knowing that it's been set free, knowing that it's been taken care of, and live on what's left. And change your habits, your practices, amen, that lead to the rut of that same old debt. These altars are open tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.